Good morning, Avent Hope. It's a livelier crowd than last night. This is good. Man, it's so good to be back with my family. You are my family, one of my families, and an important family in my life. It's so good to be uh, back with my brothers and sisters, and I see a lot of new faces as well. Um, those of you that don't know me, my name is David Stewart. Um, I attended here for three and a half years, and this was a real blessing. If you're a visitor, I encourage you to come back and be blessed over and over again. You know, this, uh, this ministry here blesses people all around the world. I've got lots of people in Canada now listening to Audioverse, and Curtis told me, get more cards so I c- and pass them out, so I want to do that. You know, it's a very humbling task to stand behind this sacred desk, to stand in the presence of the Almighty, and to preach what he calls foolishness, but God can still take the foolishness of preaching and turn something beautiful out of that. Let's pray for God to do something miraculous today here in our hearts, shall we? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, in the quietness and the reverence of this of this place, your house of prayer. I ask that your Holy Spirit would descend upon us, that you would reveal to us areas in our life where you want to do a much greater work than you're already doing. Lord, may we be humble enough to receive your word and to allow your power to work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I was getting ready to do my first evangelistic series in Canada back in September. And um, I emailed a very trusted mentor and friend of mine named Martin Kim. Some of you know Martin. He's been here to represent Adventist Southeast Asia Projects, also known as ASAP. And I wrote Martin, and I said, I need encouragement. Encourage me for preaching this series. I've never done one before. By the way, how many of you here have preached an entire evangelistic series before? Okay, we got some hands. It's, It's pretty intimidating, isn't it? It's one thing to preach a sermon here and, here and there. It's another to preach a whole series day after day. Anyway, as you might expect if you know Martin very well, he just sent a very short email back to me, and he quoted a famous and powerful Baptist minister from the 1800s named Charles Spurgeon. And this is what he said, I would rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. And Martin said, I'm praying for you that you'll be a praying preacher. Well, I did pray a lot. I could have prayed more. But I was working with an evangelist named Emmanuel Beck from Amazing Facts. I was was preaching a noontime meeting, and Emmanuel preached the evening meeting. And as we saw that we weren't getting results, we started to pray much more. And we realized that's really where the power is, not in preaching, but in prayer. So today... Some of you may think, I'm not a very good preacher, and that's fine. Um, You'll probably say, well, I hope he prays better than he preaches, (laughs) and that's a good thing. How many of you believe in the power of prayer? Really, really believe in the power of prayer. Um, My favorite quote about the power of prayer is from Ellen White. She said, there is a mighty power in prayer. Our great adversary is constantly seeking to keep the troubled soul away from God. An appeal to heaven by the humblest saint is more to be dreaded by Satan than the decrees of cabinets and the mandates of kings. 
Wow, did you know you have more power than the President of the United States if you just pray to God? Another quote, I don't know who the author is, but another quote I like is that Satan laughs at our toiling. He mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Are you making Satan tremble in your life today? Would you like to make him tremble more? Get on your knees. You know, the earliest Christians believed the quotes that I just gave you, and they took it seriously, much more serious than we are today. And I want to look at that today. I want to study what the early Christians did in the book of Acts. And my main point in the sermon is this. True success in the Christian faith depends on the power of prayer. The title of the sermon today is Pentecost, Prison, and the Power of Prayer. Pentecost, Prison, and the Power of Prayer. You know, God has a very specific purpose for His church. Many of you are probably turning to the book of Acts. Is that true? I hear pages turning. Well, before we get to Acts, we need to turn to something more, uh, an important prerequisite for the book of Acts. And I'll tell you that in a second. You know, God has a very specific purpose for His church. We are to reveal, first and foremost, the glory of God. Amen? We are to establish God's word. We are to, we are to advance Christ's kingdom. And we are also to make known the salvation of God to others. Do you know that all of these elements of what God's purpose is for his church, all of them can be found in the longest prayer recorded in the Bible for Jesus. It's also the last prayer that Jesus gave while he was still a free man on this earth right before he was captured and crucified, he went and made intercessory prayer for his disciples because he knew that these men would change the world and turn the world upside down. Let's take a look briefly at that prayer in John 17. John chapter 17. Jesus knew that for the purpose of his church to be accomplished... He knew that his disciples needed to be sanctified with the truth, and he also knew that they needed to be united. And so he prayed for that. Imagine that, that God himself praying for unity among his church, because unity doesn't just happen. God himself had to pray for it. Let's take a look at... John chapter 17, starting with verse 20. This is what Jesus said. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. He's talking about his disciples and then the people that they'll affect. That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them and thou and me. That's a pretty powerful thought that God wants us to be as close as the, as the Trinity is. That the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved me and thou hast loved me. Thou lest, and then going to verse 24. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. You see, he wants us to be with him and share in his glory. 
And the only way for us to do that is to come together as a people and to pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Was this prayer of Jesus answered? If anybody knew how to pray, was it Jesus Christ? The Bible tells us he would sometimes spend all night in prayer. Do you think he was praying just for himself? He was praying for those he was ministering to. Let's see if that prayer was answered. Let's turn to the book of Acts now. Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 12. And verse 12 comes on the heels of the Bible telling us that Jesus has just ascended and his disciples have witnessed him, being, him ascending to heaven. What did they do immediately after Jesus had departed from them? The Bible says, Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James. That about covers it, doesn't it? For the disciples. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. Notice the word continued. Ellen White tells us that they prayed for 10 days straight. They prayed in the temple, and they came together in the home and prayed together as a group for 10 days. These were not just occasional prayers. This was a continual seeking after the Holy Spirit, beating down the doors of heaven for God to pour out His blessing. What does it mean, one accord? Were they in a Honda? No, they were in unity, complete unity. Now, as we turn to Acts 2, we find that they're still praying. Acts 2, uh, verse, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. No doubt praying again. Do you think these early believers took the promises of Christ seriously? Promises like Mark eleven twenty four. Mark eleven twenty four. This is what the Bible says. This is Jesus speaking again. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when ye pray, when you do what? When you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. Is there any uncertainty in Christ's words there? Ye shall have them if you believe and pray according to God's will. Let's look at one more verse, John 16, 7, in terms of them taking seriously the word of Jesus. John chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. He promises to send us the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus promised to send them the Holy Spirit, did that mean they didn't need to pray for it? Jesus makes a lot of promises for us in the Bible. But can we really claim, claim those promises if we do not pray? 
that we do not remind God of what He said in His Word? As a result of their prayer, their continuous, persevering prayer, God did something very special. He poured out the Holy Spirit in a way that He had never done on the earth before. And as a result of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, God did miraculous things to witness to others. You know, God does not just give us the Holy Spirit for ourselves. We're not just supposed to uh, speak in tongues, roll on the aisles, and have an, uh, you know, an ecstatic experience. God always gives the Holy Spirit to advance His work and to glorify His name. And you know, the Bible tells us, going back to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, the Bible tells us Going to verse 41, the Bible says, Then they that gladly received his word, referring to this powerful sermon that Peter preached, then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Wow. Do you know that they baptized more people in one day than they had done during the entire ministry of Jesus Christ on earth? Could that have been done by human ability? No way. Do you think Peter's sermon that he preached that convicted people and pricked them to the heart, do you think that sermon would have had the power it did without that 10 days of prayer ahead of time or the prayer of Jesus ahead of time? Not a chance. Did they stop praying after the day of Pentecost and 3,000 souls were baptized? You know what? Do you ever retire on this earth from praying or doing God's work? You may retire officially from the denomination, but should we ever retire from spreading the gospel? Never, ever. In fact, that word retirement is never used in the Bible. (laughs) Let's look at what they did after that. Acts 2, going to verse 42, the very next verse after we're told 3,000 people were baptized. What did they do after that? Did they go celebrate and just go home and count it, chalk it up for another year of evangelism? What did they do? They continued. What did they do? Continued. Steadfastly, okay? Not mamby-pamby, okay? Steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread, one of my favorite parts, and also in prayers. What did they do continuously and steadfastly? They prayed. And fear came upon every soul And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Isn't that what we want here, friends? Is we want fear to prick the hearts of people of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And to do marvelous wonders for God. And all that believed were together and had all things common. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple... And breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God. Praising God is praying, isn't it? And having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Daily. How would you like it to daily bring people to the Lord? If we came together and prayed, folks, it would happen. How much do we do that? This place is packed right now. If only our prayer meetings were packed like this. 
Prayer always leads to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit if, it, if we pray in faith and, and according to the will of God. And when the Holy Spirit is poured out, it always results in the saving of souls, lost souls. Isn't it amazing the spirit that these early disciples manifested? They consecrated their whole life to the service of God. They gave all that they had for one purpose, to advance the kingdom of God and and to advance the glory of God. Do we have that same spirit today? And Jesus promised to give them the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but before that happened, did they just sit around waiting for it to happen? Did they just go about their business as normal? No, they desperately pleaded for God to pour out His Spirit upon them. They prayed in faith, they held on and would not let go with the firmest expectation until the gift of the Holy Spirit came. You know, the Bible says that God is more desirous to give us His gifts than He is a parent to give a gift to their children. And that's pretty, it's a pretty amazing analogy because as, I, as more and more of my friends are having making babies... I see how much they love them and adore them and want to do so much for them. You know, Ellen White makes a pretty startling statement in the Review and Herald, July 20th, 1886. She promised that the day of Pentecost shall be, cre- shall be repeated, and this time with even more power. She urged us to cleanse our soul temples of every defilement and to maintain such a close connection with God that we may be partakers of the latter rain when it is poured out. You know what, friends? God is going to pour out His latter rain. The only question is, are we going to be part of it? How many of you want to be part of God's latter rain? Is that what you pray for? Is that like foremost on your minds? Does your life reflect that? I got to admit to you, mine hasn't. You know, I was saying, I, I uh, said last night that when God invites me to speak somewhere and preach, either I'm told what the subject is or He lays something on my heart. And, and either way, it's always something I need personally to hear. So it's easier to preach a sermon than to live it. But you know, just preparing for this weekend has really inspired me anew on the need to really earnestly seek the Lord in prayer especially for him to pour out his latter rain upon us. Oh, that we could all catch that vision. As we continue on in the book of Acts, we find that God continues to answer prayers. Uh, In Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 5, notice what's happening as we continue on with the story of the early church. Acts chapter 12 Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Wow, James is gone. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Verse 4, and when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions, or four squads of soldiers, to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Herod was so worried that God would work a miracle 
that in vain he sent four squads, not just four soldiers. How much is a squad, Brad? 30 guys? 15 guys. Okay, so 60 guys maybe of soldiers to guard one man. Did it do any good? Hasn't Herod, Herod hadn't learned the lesson of other people in the Bible. You cannot, you cannot outpower God or overpower God. And so what do these people do? Peter's friends, his brothers and sisters, pray. Do they just say up a, a quick prayer? No, prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. You know what's amazing as you read on? When Peter, when, when God sent an angel to allow Peter to escape from prison, quite a miracle. Peter comes back to the house where they're praying for him unceasingly. He knocks on the door, and what happens? They don't believe he's there. Rhoda goes to the door. You know what? Peter's at the door. They thought she was crazy. Yeah, right. You know, it's amazing. Even when we have no faith, God sometimes answers our prayer. But he certainly likes to answer prayers of faith. Okay, one more example in the book of Acts about the power of prayer. Have you ever heard of Ananias, a man of God in the Bible? When God sent Ananias to Saul in Damascus, who then became Paul, he only told him one thing to convince Ananias that he, had, he was a converted Christian. Do you know what he told him? Take a look at Acts 9.11. Acts 9.11. And the Lord said unto him, that being Ananias, Arise, and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. Three words, behold, he prayeth. That's all the evidence you need of a converted heart. Now, do you think that Paul's prayers had any correlation to God using him as a chosen vessel to reach the Jews, the Gentiles, and kings? Absolutely, there had to be a correlation. Friends, prayerless Christians are powerless Christians. Prayerless Christians are powerless Christians. And Satan knows that. That's why the demons of hell try so hard and are, are largely successful in keeping us prayerless. Because Satan knows that when prayer fails, Satan prevails we are embroiled in one of the most heated and holy battles of all time, the battles against the powers of darkness. How dare we not pray more? If we are to prevail in this fight against Satan and his evil angels, we have to be prevalent in prayer. We have to fight the good fight of faith. The souls of lost men literally hang in the balance. They are teetering on the brink of destruction and Christians are largely unconcerned and prayerless. God help us. I like what Charles Finney said. He said that revival comes from heaven when heroic souls enter the conflict determined to win or die, or if need be, to win and die. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Are you prepared to take this world by force through the power of prayer? It's not through our force. 
through the power of God. Of course, the greatest force in the world is the power of love, not of violence. I want to end today by giving you some testimonies of some answered prayers in my life in the last six months. As many of you know, I quit my job working at the district attorney's office in Riverside in January to go on this walk of faith. And it took me years to do it because I was afraid. I'll just be honest. I was afraid to walk out in faith as God was asking me to do. I knew he was asking me to do it, but I just didn't have the courage to do it. I finally did it. And God has been blessing. And of course, if I pray more, he'll bless more. But even with, the, with what I've done and the prayers that I've, I've made on behalf of his people, he's been blessing, and it's awesome. I encourage all of you, wherever God is leading you in your life, go there. It's so much better than our own piddly little dreams. The first thing I want to tell you about is crossing the Canadian border. Um, This was in late June. This is a picture of Glacier National Park in Montana. How many of you have been there? Isn't it gorgeous? If you haven't been there, you've got to go. And then just keep going up to the Canadian Rockies. Glacier National Park borders Waterton Park's uh, National Park in Canada. They adjoin each other. And so I was on my way up to Canada. I was assigned to do Bible work and evangelism up there after going through Amazing Facts Bible School. And I had received a letter from the uh, vice president of the Alberta Conference inviting me to come work up there. And it outlined uh, my employment and, and my pay and everything. He said, you don't need a work permit. Um, Just show him the letter. You'll have no problem getting through the border. Well, (laughs) that day I came to the border, and I was turned away. The immigration officer said, you you don't have a work permit. And I said, I don't need one, do I? He said, yeah. Um, I said, well, I thought that all I needed was a letter of invitation. That's what the conference told me. He goes, I don't care what the conference said. We're not letting you in. You'll, you'll work with children. We don't have clearance for you to be with children. You don't have a health clearance. He goes, you don't have a labor market opinion saying that Canada needs you and they can't use their own and pay their own because they'd rather give the work to their locals. So I was turned away. And I went back to this beautiful mountain. <laughs> and then... I went and called Romy, Romy, Romy Dequila, the, the um, administrator there that had written the letter. And he goes, let me look on the website. And he checked and he says, it says you don't need a work permit. So he said, why don't you print this off the internet and go show it to the officer. <laughs> so I drove back to the officer. He goes, I don't care what the website says. <laughs> We're not letting you in. I said, well, how long will it take to get a labor market opinion? He goes, a couple months. I go, by then the Bible work will be done and we'll be doing our evangelistic series with no no pre-work. That won't do us any good. So then he said, well, you can try the next border crossing if you want. He says, I just called a senior officer in Coots, like, I don't know, 50 miles away. He's been working uh, with immigration for 30 years. He says, we can't let you in. So I drove to the next border crossing. But you know what's amazing? Is this whole time I'm driving back and forth between the U.S. and Canada, 
I'm listening to a DVD by my new boss, Doug Batchelor. I'm now working with Amazing Facts and Evangelism. And I was listening to this CD by uh, Doug Batchelor on a sermon he did called From Jordan, to jo- From Jordan to Jericho. It was all about the struggles that the children of Israel had getting in to Jericho and to getting into the, to the Canaan, to the promised land. I wasn't trying to get into Canaan. I was trying to get into Canada. Okay? But you know what's amazing is that Doug talked about how the children of Israel had the challenge of crossing the Jordan River. And it was only by a miracle of God where God parted the water like he had done for the Red Sea that they were able to cross the border. I didn't, you know, do you think it was random that, I, um, that God put that sermon in my path? when he knew that I needed to hear those words of encouragement. I didn't plan it that way, but God knew I needed that encouragement. So then I went to the next border crossing, and the, the official that I met was no friendlier. I mean, I shouldn't say that. These guys were friendly, they just were firm. And he said, I can't let you in. And I said, well, your website says I don't need a work permit. If I'm working with the clergy, it's an exception. He says, I know, but we have a policy. He finally admitted they had a policy that undermined their law. So then we got into a long discussion about the law. <laughs> and he said, he said, um, maybe you should go consult with an attorney. <laughs> I said, I am an attorney. Can we talk? And so we talked, and we went over the immigration law. I'm not an immigration expert, but I didn't have an immigration attorney at my disposal, so I I just figured we'll look at the law. And the law clearly said, if you work with the clergy, which I fell under the description they gave, it's an exception to the work permit. He goes, yeah, but we have a policy. He wouldn't even show me the policy for a while, but then he finally did. And I'm reading, I go, do you understand this? And he he like couldn't look me in the eye when I asked him that. (laughs) I go, this totally uh, undermines the law. And we rely on the law when I come here. We don't have access to your secret policies. I begged and pleaded with him. But you know, I did something more important. He and I kept, he kept coming back and talking to me. This lasted for hours. He kept going back, calling other people, saying, no, I can't let you in. Sorry, you got to get a labor market opinion. It'll take a couple months. But you know, every time he'd go in the back, I would just plead fervently with God. I just prayed and prayed. Finally, after being there, I don't know, three hours or something, he came out and he goes, you know, I don't really understand this policy either. It seems confusing to me, too. He goes, I'm just going to give you the benefit of the doubt. He said, go on in. That could only come through God. And so, this is what the first thing I saw when I came into Canada. It's so beautiful there. If you ever get a chance to go to the Canadian Rockies, I tell you, it's just beautiful. This was that same evening as I came into Canada. This was the next day, Lake Louise. And uh, this is as I continued on through the Rockies up to Grand Prairie, Alberta. Well, after doing a couple uh, months of Bible work, it came time for the evangelistic series. And the day before the series started, my knees were shaking. I felt totally unprepared, ill-equipped. And I, I thought, why am I here? I just want to go home. And um, 
Maybe they should have stopped me at the border. <laughs> and you know what? God is so amazing because I prayed to him for encouragement. And you know, the Bible ought to be encouragement enough, but sometimes God actually uses live human beings to encourage us. And this was right after Southwest Youth Conference, the beginning of September. And I checked my voicemail. It had been a several days since I checked my voicemail. I had a voicemail on my phone that had been there for several days. Hello, Brother Stewart. This is Brother Randy Skeet. <laughs> and I'm just calling to encourage you. And he said, I, he, he said he'd talked to some of you, and you had told him I was doing Bible work in Canada. He just called to encourage me. And I was blown away. He goes, I have been praying consistently for you. God love Randy Skeet. And then he, of course, as he always does, he gave me promises in the Bible. He gave me Isaiah 41.10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Psalms 25, 4 and 5. Show me thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation, and on thee do I wait all the day. Finally, 2 Chronicles 2, 20, 12. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do. But our eyes are upon thee. And just those encouraging promises from Randy Skeet did so much to lift my spirits and give me the courage to go on. Which reminds me of what Charles Spurgeon said. Oh, that you studied your Bibles more. Oh, that we all did. How we could plead the promises. How we could plead the promises. How often we should prevail with God when we could hold Him to His word and say, Fulfill this word unto thy servant, whereon thou hast caused me to hope. Look, if you're going to give me the hope of Scripture, then fulfill those words of hope. Oh, it is grand praying when our mouth is full of God's word, for there is no word that can prevail with God like his own words. You tell a man when you ask him for such and such a thing, you yourself said you would do so and so. You have him then. And so when you can lay hold on the covenant angel with this consecrated grip, thou hast said, thou hast said, then have you every opportunity of prevailing with him. Well, one of the great things that happened while I was in Canada during the series, well, long before the series started, actually, was one of the, one of the families I became close to in Grand Prairie, um, Marlene and Milton Hathaway. Marlene was actually instrumental in helping Hans Deal get the CHIP program uh, kicked off in Kelowna, British Columbia. I believe that's where he started the CHIP program. She's a nurse. Anyway, providentially, we came together and said, you know what, we need to reach out to the young people in the church. Um, the young adults need to be reached out to more. So she started a, a Bible study on Friday nights. We had such powerful studies. The Holy Spirit was there and convicting people. Her own daughter had just come from Loma Linda and was very lukewarm. Not that Loma Linda and Laodicea are synonymous. But she had come from Loma Linda. She got her master's here in, in some kind of child development. And she spent a month up there with us and was coming to these Friday night Bible studies. And she was so convicted by what she heard. And um, 
I remember talking to her the night before she left till four in the morning, appealing to her about shunning the entertainment of the world. Um, all kinds of stuff we talked about. Uh, about the fact that until, until you marry somebody, their body does not belong to you. They do not. We should, we should treat each other with sacredness. Things like this. And she's like, really? And all this kind of stuff. But the Holy Spirit was convicting her in her life. And her mother took her to Connecticut to start a new job. And they just happened to stumble upon the church of Dennis Smith, who recently spoke here about the Holy Spirit. And her mother says, Alicia's life has done a 180-degree turn. Prayer works, because we've been praying for her. This young man, Winston Green Jr., um, I had the privilege of participating with him as as my first baptism. Um, The pastor you can see there in the background, Sean Brumman, that I worked with, we had a great time together, and he actually pronounced in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, but I actually put Winston under the water. Winston, uh, I got to know when I first got to the church. He grew up in the church, but he'd kind of been in and out as an adult. He's now, I think, 21 years old. And, um, you know, I could start to see a spiritual awakening in his life. He was coming to those Friday night Bible studies. Early on, I asked him, Winston, have you ever been baptized? He goes, no, I haven't. I said, would you like to be? He goes, yeah, I think so. Anyway, during the four months I was there, I saw such growth in Winston. And he just became more and more convicted of the Holy Spirit. He went from going to movies and just doing whatever to being so consecrated to God. I remember um, one of the Saturday nights we spent together, and he left early uh, at a house we were at. And the next day I said, hey, what did you do when you left? He goes, I went back to talk to my pot-smoking friends to tell them about Jesus. I, I, I went to tell them, you know what? You know, what does the world have to offer? Really nothing. If we don't have Jesus, we don't have anything. So I had the privilege of helping to disciple Winston, praying for him, seeing God move in his life in a powerful way. And so he was baptized. And he went from being a guy who turned me down when I first asked him to go door-to-door doing Bible work on Sabbath afternoon to, to enthusiastically doing it. In fact, I just talked to him this morning. He says, I'm going out this afternoon to follow up on some of the Bible study leads you had while you were here. And I remember we went out one day with his eight-year-old sister and we taught her to say that when they say no to the Bible study, you, we taught his eight-year-old sister to say, why not? <laughs> it was great. You know, Bible work is, can be a lot of fun. Anyway, Winston, if you come to GYC, how many of you are coming to GYC? Awesome. You'll get to meet Winston. He's coming down, along with Marlene, Milton, Violet, and Alicia. They're all coming to GYC. I'm so happy. And, and Winston, one day he was telling Emmanuel Beck and I that he wanted to start this advertising business in town where he drives cars around all day, advertising whatever businesses want to give him. And I said, Winston, what do you think the most important advertising there is in this world? He said, the gospel. I said, yeah, do you... You know, being in business is fine, but do you really think this is where God is calling you? I said, I'd like you to consider going to Bible school. And so by the grace of God, Winston will be attending AFCO Bible School in January. 
God is just doing amazing things in his life. Like Amazing Facts likes to say, we don't like to plant fruit. We want to plant fruit trees. One last answer to prayer. I know I'm out of time. Um, this is the first wave of baptisms that we had as a result of the evangelistic series that Emmanuel and I did together. Emmanuel was a great mentor, and I um, relished the time that we had together. I want to tell you about the lady uh, in the brown in the front row. Her name is Cindy. One day, uh, another church member named Curtis and I went to Cindy's door. We had received her name through an It Is Written media interest list. We knocked on her door, and her husband, big guy, he came to the door, and he says, we're busy, we're having dinner. And the message was clear, get lost. And his wife it was in the kitchen. She says, well, at least see what they want, dear. And we tried to explain. We were, had uh, gotten her name from It Is Written. As soon as she heard It Is Written, she immediately came over, invited us in. We sat down together, and she, she told us that, that she had been uh, previously in the Adventist church. Um, someone had left a great controversy on her doorstep one day. She studied herself into the faith. But it had been 10 years since she'd been to church. And for the last four months, God had been working on her heart, stirring her heart. And she prayed, God, I feel so lost. I want to be spiritually connected to you. Please send someone that can encourage me spiritually. She later confessed that she didn't realize it at the time, but after a few days, she realized, you know what? God answered my prayer. Not only did he send someone to encourage me, he sent them to my very door. We were praying God would do miraculous things that day, and he did. And Cindy had been praying that God would work in her life. So she faithfully attended the Noontime Evangelistic Series, and she decided to recommit her life to the Lord and be rebaptized. And I remember she was attending church and prayer meeting regularly after that. And on the last night that I was there in Grand Prairie at the prayer meeting, she came up to me with tears in her eyes and she said, thank you for having the courage to knock on my door. Friends, does God answer prayer? He answered my prayer and he answered her prayer at the same time. That's when God really does amazing things when he answers multiple prayers at once. Oh, that we could intercede for others as Christ has done. This is a painting by Nathan Green commissioned by Amazing Facts that shows Jesus interceding for this world. I want to leave you with the question. Oh, but before I do that, you know Operation Global Rain is coming around again this year for the third year in a row where a group of Seventh-day Adventists get together around the world during 10 days to pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They want to do exactly what the early church did. Friends, I want to encourage you to participate in that. There should be very few excuses that keep us from coming together for 10 days to pray together. It's my prayer that you'll come together during Operation Global Rain. I want to leave you with a question. If no, one, if no one on earth prayed for the salvation of sinners more fervently or more frequently than I do, how many of them would be converted to God through prayer? I just want to leave you with that.
and encourage each one of us to pray more for the work of God. Let's bow our heads together, shall we? Dear Lord, I want to pray that we all take your gospel commission more seriously. And Lord, that we activate your power to work in our lives and the lives of others through prayer. Lord, may we put the key of prayer in the hand of faith to unleash your omnipotent power in our lives to advance your kingdom. May your Holy Spirit be poured out upon us, Lord. May we take it more seriously to come together, to plead, to beg for your Spirit to come upon us, Lord. In Jesus' name and for your sake, amen.